Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, before signing the franchise agreement, it's essential to completely understand the franchise relationship along with both yours and the franchisor's responsibilities, and especially for your benefit, your potential liabilities. There's no better way to do so than to ask questions. Good morning and welcome to Franchising and You, a production of Franchise Foundry. My name is Paul Segretto. I'm your host every Saturday morning as we share information and perspective to help individuals understand all aspects of exploring, selecting, and starting a franchise business. Joining me today to discuss this essential part of your due diligence that will help you make an informed decision well before signing documents and remitting a franchise fee is our legal expert, Tom Spadia. Tom, thanks for joining us again on Franchising and You. Thanks for having me, Paul. Excited to, uh, this is a great, great topic as, uh, as always, and I'm glad to be able to participate. Yep, uh, it, it definitely is, and more and more people, you know, right now at this time of the year as we're into the holiday season, sitting around the table with friends and relatives, getting a lot of, you know, unsolicited advice. Um, so this is a good topic to, uh, to put in people's minds. So if a candidate had only one question, one question, to ask a franchisor before actually signing on the dotted line, what would it be? That's a great, great, great question. I'd say if you had to boil that thing down to one, of course, the lawyer in me says, you know, make it more than one. But I'm going to play with your hypothetical. If I had to ask one question, it's what makes a franchisee successful in their system? You know, I think people get so bogged down with the what, the hows, the mechanics. At the end of the day, finding the right franchise is a matching game. There's a lot of different franchises, a lot of different people being successful in many different systems, some unsuccessful. Your job as a candidate is to match. So if you can find out and ask that question of the franchisor, what makes a franchisee successful in your system? And when you hear that answer and you validate that answer and you compare that to your own skill set, your own experience, your own background, you have a much better chance for success. So that, that, that would be the one I would ask. I think that's a, a, an absolute great response, you know, and I opened up the show, you know, referencing, you know, responses, uh, responsibilities, I should say, and liabilities. Um, so let's start with responsibilities because obviously individuals need to understand what those responsibilities should be in order to even have a chance at success. So what are some questions or type of questions that you believe individuals should ask franchisors to ensure they better understand not only their responsibilities, but their mutual responsibilities? Yeah, well, I, I, think, um, I think that is a question, right? What are, what's the day in the life of a franchisee? What are the expectations of a franchisor? You know, I've I, I always told people who have been in, in franchising, we've seen people not be successful and people successful, and you have to remember that in every system, there are people in the top, people in the middle, and people at the bottom. So what separates that? The biggest variable is the franchisee itself. So when they're doing that due diligence, they're really trying to break down the expectations of what kind of energy, what kind of effort, what kind of investment, and do all these things that they're learning from the franchisor and from maybe the franchisees in the system and their independent research and their professionals, do they really have what it takes? You know, they... The best thing about entrepreneurship in, in the franchising world is that at the end of the day, they are successful 
They can look in the mirror, and they have nobody but themselves to say, we brought you here to this success. Flip side is, if they're not successful, they have to really take ownership of the fact that maybe they didn't do everything they should or they shouldn't have understood it. So when they're in the due diligence process, they need to really ask those questions of, what does it take to be successful? What, who, what kind of investment level? What's the day in the life? What's the skill set? Um, what are some of the problems? Flip side, how about, tell me about some people who weren't successful. What was it about that? Because every system, is, any system will always have had someone that didn't quite meet expectations. A franchisee prospect asking the franchisor, tell me about some of the problems that you had with franchisees when there was some sort of misunderstanding or a franchisee wasn't living up to expectations. How did you deal with that? And what do you think the root cause of that problem was? You're asking it in sort of a safe space. You don't want to learn that in a crisis. You want to learn that before you commit it. Is there any perceived franchisor responsibility that really is not a responsibility? Maybe it's a myth. Maybe it's what people have heard. You know, I think the one biggie is the marketing is I think that franchisees go into the system and they, they, they benchmark their, you mentioned about the sit around the kitchen table in the holidays and everybody has the sort of, everybody outside of the franchising world has a, a, a perhaps a different view of what franchising is all about. And I've always told people, you're really buying, as much as you're buying the branding and the marketing and all that, in most systems, service brands, even retail, even food, you're buying the back-end system and the learning and the mistakes. So I think that the, one of the biggest misconceptions is that the franchisee is going to drive customers to your door. And you know, many years ago, people started making small change. They used to call it an advertising fund of your 2%. Now it's called a brand fund. And I think that very subtle change is an important mind shift towards it's typically, in the typical franchise system, the responsibility of the franchisee to use the tools of the franchisor and go get their own customers in a local market. Um, and I think that's a big misconception that people who get into franchising think, oh, if I get this business, the franchisor is going to drive people to me. Well, certainly it doesn't. Yeah, and it certainly doesn't fall on our, our friends and relatives' shoulders entirely because – uh, as many in franchising know, I've got my passion about making sure the public and corporate America understands that franchising is small business, too. And, of course, I'm referencing American Express's annual Small Business Saturday, which for many years uh, left franchising out altogether and only now allows it to a certain extent. And in my conversations with American Express executives, um, it was clear they didn't understand quite what franchising is about because they had that same misconception about the franchisor having an advantage or the franchisee having an advantage because the franchisor was driving business. So it was very interesting to learn that, hey, Tom, we have a question uh, from one of our listeners actually in New York City who asks, how can I be assured I'm getting honest answers to my questions from both franchisor and franchisees? You know, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, you know, keep, keep really good notes, document this stuff, and ask 
similar variations of the same question to different people within an organization and, say, franchisees, there's never any guarantee. Um, you know, you have to just – there's some degree of a leap of faith, that's for sure. And you just have to know the people. I, I actually believe a face-to-face meeting with franchisees as part of due diligence is a worthwhile endeavor if it's possible. Uh, and, look, the franchisees, especially if it's an emerging smaller system, they don't really have an incentive to, um, to, to lie to you. They've been similarly situated, and I think they're going to give you a fair shake. If they're not happy, uh, they're going to tell you, and that's been my experience. I mean, that, there's nothing that a franchisor should fear more than unhappy franchisees that will tell their prospects, you know, I wish I wasn't in this business. Um, but, you know, there's no guarantees. I mean, you have, to, you have to do your due diligence. You have to validate it. You have to look at it from every angle. Um, you have to look at it as a customer. You know, at the end of the day, all these businesses, their job is to deliver products and services to a consumer business, someone paying the bills. And so you have to really think about, all right, how does that happen? Look at those Google reviews. Do lots of Internet research. Ask people within the industry. Um, do research on their competitors. And I think that just starts to pick it apart. But, you know, you're never 100% sure. Um, everybody has an angle, and that's a very, very astute sure. observation. Yeah, I think uh, looking for, as you said, you know, uh, copious notes, uh, looking for consistency in the responses, I think, is uh, is absolutely key. We appreciate all questions to Franchising and You. Just drop me a note at paul at franchisefoundry.com. Before or during the show, we'll do all we can to answer your questions on the show. In any event, we will respond to all questions. I'd like to take a moment to remind everyone that Franchising and You is sponsored by FranFund, Retail Solutions, and Spady Iliana, all great resources as you explore franchising and franchise opportunities. For funding options, please visit FranFund at FranFund.com. For site selection, we strongly suggest checking out Retail Solutions at RetailSolutionsRE.com. And, of course, for your legal needs, we highly recommend Tom Spadia and his team at Spady Iliana at SpadiaLaw.com. Tom, let's turn to potential liabilities. First, should these questions – these type of questions be asked of a candidate's business attorney or should they engage with a franchise attorney? Well, you know, I mean, and I know this, that the risk of sounding a little bit self-serving, I've been, you know, a franchise law firm. We've been around the eight years now. And before that I, I sold franchises and I was a franchise uh, broker consultant uh, in some, you know, mid-sized couple hundred unit franchise systems. And so I saw it on the other end is that a franchise candidate who engages a business attorney. So first of all, my baseline is you're still better off getting an attorney of any stripe than not an attorney and signing a document with so many responsibilities and, um, and rules without it. So you certainly need to get legal advice on this very strict legal document. The challenge of going to an attorney who has never really reviewed a franchise agreement, an FDD, or in that is they don't necessarily understand the non-legal ecosystem of what happens here in franchising. So they're giving advice in a bubble, not in the perspective of the whole relationship. What I mean by that is that, you know, it's, it's not, you're not doing your client a disservice 
where you're doing your client a disservice by not letting them understand the relationship that they're getting into. And it's not just a unilateral relationship between you and your franchisor. You're actually joining a system. And so, therefore, you have to be thinking about that same similar contract that your neighbor or in today's day of you know, the Internet, um, anybody across the country carrying that same flag, a, a weak franchisor. So what I mean by that is that if you have a typical business attorney is going to be arguing for rights and responsibilities and you know, what's better for me is worse for you and so on and so forth, and let's just mark up this agreement. And the reason franchisors don't do that, it's not because they feel, oh, we're all powerful. It's actually bad for a franchisee, for a franchisor, to not have in place the ability to enforce their system standards. So although you are conceding that power to your franchisor, you're hopeful that so is your neighbor. So if someone is not upholding the standards, you want your franchisor to be strong. So it's a very strange dynamic that you have to have that perspective of what's going on there. And I think business attorneys sort of miss the forest from the trees, and they'll go through these documents and pick it apart, and they'll say, well, why would you – I've had this happen when I was in franchise development or when we represent franchisors. We have attorneys call and say, this document is ridiculous. This contract is so one-sided. Why would anyone sign this in their right mind? Well, look. There's close to a million franchise units in the United States, and you know, not saying that they all do well. There's no, this isn't risk-free, but it's certainly um, not fair to say why would anyone do this? You can't be successful. It's just not true. And so I think that mindset of a typical, you know, bare-knuckled business attorney who's going to ask for you know 50 to 100 changes, what's going to happen is franchisor should say no to all of them and say sorry. You don't understand the relationship. And then the worst thing happens. They make two, two bad decisions that, that hurt both parties. They either say, you scared me out of this. I'm not doing it. And look, if, if my client doesn't buy a business, they're not, they, they want to buy a business to help their family and get them to where they need to go. So you're not helping them in that sense. Secondly, they'll completely ignore the advice of their attorney that had this happen. And they say, fine, we'll sign it as is. So first of all, I always believe you can get surgical changes, and we can talk about that in a little bit, to all franchise agreements and, you know, on the better clarifications of the FDV of what's going on. And then they sign the agreement, they go in, and they have this lingering doubt that maybe their franchisor is trying to rip them off. And that's not good. So, you know, there's a host of reasons why you need, you know, if you're a if, if you need heart surgery, go to a heart surgeon. You know, don't go to the general practitioner. Not that the general practitioner is wrong, but they just don't do this day in and day out. This is just too important an investment in a business decision for you to make. I couldn't agree more and have seen uh, a lot both as a franchisor and working with franchise candidates. And, of course, for our listening audience that might not understand, there is a difference between franchise attorneys, there are some that represent franchisors, and there are some that represent franchisees. How would you explain the difference? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, and, and I would even say there's a third category where our firm falls in, which is a hybrid. We take an approach point. that, you know, there's a, there's a few that really look at both sides. Now, for the most part, some of the attorneys in our office will end up gravitating towards one or the other. 
But, you know, franchise or attorneys, there's a lot of regulatory work in franchising, drafting these FDDs, getting them registered in the various states, you know, giving that business advice for these franchisors that they're in a different business than the day-to-day franchisee. And then the flip side, the understanding of the franchisee. So some franchisee attorneys are not really focused on the beginning part of the relationship. They, are look, they look at franchising with kind of a different hue of when there are problems. And look, as I said, you've got close to a million franchise outlets in the country. There's going to be problems, and there can be litigation. And so there are some franchisee attorneys that just take an approach of what happens when things went horribly wrong, and let's hold the franchisor accountable. And you know, I'm okay with that because there are some bad actors, and they should be held accountable. And then franchisor attorneys, who I think sometimes get in a box, just focus on franchisors, they sometimes lose the empathy towards the franchisees, and they're always blaming the, the victim, so to speak, saying, oh, well, franchisees are, are terrible and all they do is complain. Um, and they lose sight, I think, a little bit of the true disparity of information and bargaining power between a franchisor and a franchisee. Our approach is, is a little bit of a hybrid. We try to have, when we're explaining to a franchisee why this is important to a franchisor, um, we mean it, and we do, and we understand it because we have sat at that side of the table. And then the flip side, when we're representing a franchisor, we don't want to just pound on franchisees. They have valid complaints and concerns, and the franchisor should be meeting them more than halfway because they're kind of the, the, the bigger player here, and I think they have to go above and beyond to do the right thing. So um, I think understanding this dynamic is a really, really important part of whoever your professional is. You should see you know, what percentage of their business is focused in this franchising world. I learn something every day. I love doing these shows with you and these talks and these conventions because even though I've been in franchising for over 15 years, uh, not a week goes by that I don't learn something new or get a new perspective. Sure. Absolutely. You know, one of the things we tell franchise candidates um, is specifically to ask of their attorney, whoever they choose to um, advise with, to make sure they understand and have it explained to them what their potential liabilities are and specifically how they might re- relate to their current you know, situation, whether it be financial, whether it be, you know, partnerships, whatever that case might be. I think that the big thing they need to understand is what their potential liability is in certain circumstances. What type of questions would you advise they ask about potential liability? It's a great question. And I think what, what the answer that they get, they have to dig a little deeper. Because what the franchisor is going to answer, probably, is what's the liability to the franchisor? And that's not really their total downside risk. So what they need to do, for instance, if you're signing on for a retail franchise of any stripe, the, the, the most small businesses who sign for a retail lease, you know, we negotiate a lot of these leases and we tell people, there's going to be a personal guarantee of some flavor, right? The better the location, mm-hmm. the longer it's going to be. But you sign for a restaurant that's $5,000 a month in rent, that's $60,000 a year plus, you know, cam charges and all this other stuff. It's, it's hard pressed, not that a minimum of three-year personal guarantee. Sometimes you can get it smaller, but sometimes it can be five, eight, ten years. You could be looking at 
you know, four or $500,000 in liabilities just from your lease. So when you ask that question, you have to think about what assets are you putting at risk here, you know, and it's okay to put them at risk because that's sort of the American way in capitalism. But what I always think is not okay is putting things at risk and not knowing they're at risk. So when you're committing to that franchise agreement, you should be thinking about, you know, what if things don't go well? What's the, what's the, can I resell this? What's the asset value worth? What would actually happen if I don't hit my target? Um, am I signing on this for this SBA loan? And you start tacking this stuff up, you know, a retail restaurant franchisee could be coming out of the gate with exposure of six or $700,000, maybe a $300,000 liability to their lease and a three or $400,000 liability to their loan. So, although their liability specifically to the franchisor might not be much, right, as long as they're not competing or doing anything, you'll see things like future royalties, they call them liquidated damages, things that were pretty successful in knocking out of the franchise agreement. And quite frankly, if you're owing the landlord money and all that, even if that's still in your agreement, you're probably not going to walk away owing the franchisor a lot of money. So that's a question that you have to really ask properly. What is my total exposure and liability as a franchisee to all of the stakeholders, not just to the franchisor? By the way, that's a question better asked franchisees when you do that. You diligence. Yeah, a couple of other questions, you know, that come to mind obviously would relate to insurance, liability, um, as well as covenants not to compete. Uh, afterwards, um, a lot of people just don't understand that until they're actually at that 11th hour, and they really need to understand that going in. And you and I did a show a couple of months ago about partnerships, and I think that right. has to be asked specifically how the franchisor and how that actually agree that that agreement affects or is affected by partnerships, and especially the breakup of partnerships. Well, breaking that down, I, I would say in terms of the covenants not to compete, you know, sometimes you'll read in the press where, oh, those things aren't enforceable and, you know, you, oh, it's easy to get out of that and all that. But that's, um, that's really not true. I mean, for the most part, this is a business relationship, not an employment relationship. So you right. may in your corporate life think, oh, these covenants not to compete are, you know, limited in my state because I had this corporate job. And I, when I negotiated that, my, you know, my lawyer told me, oh, you know, they can't enforce this beyond a year or something like that. So I'm not worried about this two-year covenant in my franchise agreement. It's different. You know, you're getting trade secrets. You're joining. You're buying your business. It, the enforceability rules are going to be very different. By the same token, same thing with a partnership. So if you're entering into a business for the first time or it's an add-on, you should go into it with the mindset that, whatever that business is, if it's a plumbing business, if it's a hamburger business, these guys are teaching me this business, I'm not going to be able to go independent. So I need to think about alternative plans if it doesn't go well. So that's kind of a baseline. You should just go in thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm rolling the dice here on this brand and this thing. The idea of doing it myself alone is not really practical. Uh, the legal fees and the success rates are certainly not going to be worth it. As far as partnerships, yeah, I would say go back and, and, re, and listen to, to that really detailed analysis that we gave there. 
you know, the highlights are, you know, that's part of your risk. Who's doing what? Who's putting what finances into this business? Who really is the franchisee? Um, that's a question. Is it the LLC? Is it you as an individual? Who's being bound by this stuff? Um, you need to really get good advice so that you understand all those moving parts and, um, and be thinking about, I mean, we as lawyers always say, what happens if things, if things happen down the middle as expected? I'll be the first one to say, maybe you didn't need our legal advice. But that's what, that doesn't happen all the time. If things go horribly wrong or terrifically well, that's where your professionals come in to give you all those scenarios in the beginning and lay that foundation um, so things happen you know, to your best, to the best advantage as possible uh, in those other scenarios at the fringes. Good answers, good responses, a lot of information for people to consider. And certainly, uh, and you've already talked about this, you know, candidates should ask questions of current as well as past franchisees. Uh, in addition to what you already responded to, what, what, what types of questions should be asked of, of current franchisees and past franchisees? That's my number one thing. I, I do this uh, at some of these trade shows. I'll do a, a top 20 things in your FDD, and you go through it. And I always end up, if someone's listening here and they show up, you know, you, you'll, you'll know the right answer going in. The number one item to look at in your FDD is your item 20 and get, and that is, as it breaks it down, the disclosure of all those franchisees. I am amazed at how few franchisees <clears throat> folks will talk to. So the first one, thing is you've got to actually go through that exercise. And it's not easy. These are small business owners, getting them on the phone, wrangling them for coffee, getting them to take the time. So you have to be persistent with emails <clears throat> and setting things up. And once you get them there, I think you have to ask them that same question I said of the franchise or, you know, what, what does it take to be successful in this system? Would you do it again? I think is a real good telling point. Um, people get too wrapped up in the numbers. The numbers are important. You're going to get some in the item 19. You're going to find out. You're going to get a baseline range. But everybody's different, how much energy, how much capital, their location. Um, you're really, if, you're, if you do it well, the numbers will take care of themselves. So you don't want to get this false sense of expectation because you meet this franchisee and he tells you, man, I'm making, you know, yeah, I, I've been banking a couple hundred grand a year. Or I've been doing this and I've been doing great. That doesn't really tell you anything. Big deal. Um, you know, you're going to find people across the spectrum. Questions are, when you were in my position, here's another great question to ask a franchisee as a prospective franchisee. To say, when you were in my shoes looking at this, what do you wish you knew before you signed that you now know as a franchisee? That's a that great question. Some more insight into, oh, okay, so really you're trying to just break down there on the other side of the fence. They have access to the operations manual. They have access to the system. They have access to pro formas and budgets and all the stuff that a franchisor has to be a little bit cautious about sharing until you're a committed franchisee, rightfully so, by both regulation and business practice. But they have access to that information. And you're not trying to get the information. You're trying to understand your expectations. What is it about that? What is it that makes them successful? And the other question on the negative side is, 
Have you ever had any problems with the franchise or, or disagreements, and how did they resolve it? You know, you're, you're, you're joining a group, right? They're not your boss, but they're in a stronger bargaining position, and they have the final say in the majority of the relationship. So how are these people as human beings? Do they care about you as a franchisee? Do they genuinely care about your unit economics? If things are not going well, um, you know, are they paternalistic and, and maternalistic in the sense of, oh, wow, we want the best for you, arbitrary bureaucrats and the police? Um, and because some franchisors are like that, hey, it's in the contract, we don't care. Uh, that's not a great answer. So you've got to know that going in. Um, you know, you know I think another yeah, I think another question um, that I find that's a, a very valuable question, or at least the response is very valuable, is when a candidate asks a current franchisee, would you do it again? Are you yep. thinking about opening a second location? And a lot of times, you know, they might be ambivalent. They might say, yeah, you know, the experience was great, but I'm looking at doing something with this other company instead of opening a second location. And I think that speaks volumes. I also think, you know, some questions, and especially as uh, I come at this from the perspective of us working, you know, exclusively with emerging brands, where the personalities and the, and the founders experience really plays a big part of this, finding out, you know, the background of the executives more than what you would see in, in item two. Uh, also, you know, how financially strong is the franchise company asking questions, you know, specifically about that, even though there might be a compilation of financials in the first year or audited financials thereafter, get an understanding of it because as we know, the franchise company and some other operating companies that might, that might have not really give you the uh, the absolute true picture unless you dig down uh, into it. Asking a question, as you refer to all the time, about item 20, which I think is really a strong point, as you have said, in determining uh, what the company is like and if it's successful, is how many locations or how many franchisees have signed that have yet to open? And I've yeah. asked the question of the time frame, you know, why is it taking uh, so long? Anything else regarding that? And I, I love the question that, that, that you asked also about how they resolve problems. And, of course, as we know within the franchise disclosure document is litigation. What questions would you prompt a candidate to ask if there is litigation in the disclosure document? Well, I try to get a hold of the litigants for sure, and you got to understand that um... – you know, that you're going to get sort of a biased story. But what, what could have prevented this litigation? Why did it get so far? What are the other fran – if there's litigation in there, I'd ask the other franchisees what they think about the litigation. Because in my estimate, there are, you know, for every 10 arguments and disputes, only one should end up in litigation, maybe less, right? The franchisor has so many opportunities to resolve it, unless you're talking about a true rogue franchisee that, you know, takes down the sign and puts up an independent sign, well, then you want the franchisor to be aggressive because they're affecting your brand and everybody. That, to me, is a legitimate, legitimate reason to go to litigation, and then the franchisee is going to turn around and say, oh, the franchisor was fraudulent and all kinds of rotten stuff, 
But I think if in that context, that's an acceptable litigation. But if it's a franchisee that just went broke and there was no empathy on the path on the on the side of the franchisor, and they just didn't care that this franchisee wasn't successful, and they ended up in a dispute in the courts, uh, that's you know that's a warning sign. I think that 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 caring for even the poor performers is an important part um, that you'll get and you'll glean from asking franchisees. And to that point of the whole dispute, Matt, is there a is there clear leadership and direction from the franchisees? Mm-hmm. Do you respect them as a leader? Just ask that question. Do you respect the franchisor as a leader? Um, will tell you a lot. If the franchisee is saying yes, you know they really, you know they're always thinking about us, and I and I, I enjoy the conferences and we meet people and the people who come here, they're talented. I learn something whenever I talk to the franchisor. You know, a franchisor who's doing that, that's, that's really good because um, business is tough, right? Businesses change all the time. Uh, business formats change. What's working today might not work tomorrow. You as a franchisee, you're looking to the franchisor to look around those corners and be a leader. So it's not just about what happened yesterday. What's going to happen tomorrow? Because that's what matters to you as a franchisee. Is there a lot of turnover? You know, do you trust in our, the people at the franchisor or is this sort of a revolving door and their morale is not so good? Those are the kind of questions that start to give you the picture of the culture. That's another great question. What's the culture of the franchisor like? Can you even identify it? Is there such a thing? Um, is this this really close-knit where they feel pride in being part of the system? If it's just a business transaction, look, business and life, it's just too hard. This just doesn't always work on a spreadsheet, and that's where I sort of caution franchisees to get so re- so so buried in their own projections that their assumptions talk them into or out of the deal. They're looking at the soft picture. Let us, as their lawyers and the accounts and all that, break down crossing the T's and dotting the I's. Their questions should be directed towards the intangible of the system. Is this a group that I want to be a part of, that I'm proud to be a part of, and I'm going to tell my, you know, colleagues and my neighbors and all of them and my church that, yeah, I'm part of this system and I'm proud of it. That's a better system to join than one that you can't say that. And you can get that information by asking the question. You know, one of the questions that I instruct or suggest to franchise candidates to ask of the franchisees is when a franchisor has corporate operations in various markets, along with franchisees in that market, because seeing how the corporate stores operate really can shed some light on corporate culture. And a lot of times what we have found is do as I say, but not as I do type of attitude, which of course (laughs) is not good as well. Tom, any last suggestions as to questions that, franchise candidates should be asking before actually signing the franchise agreement? You know, I I think that, you know, it's important to ask a lot of questions and to be thorough, but I think you also have to be humble enough to know that you're really just getting a partial picture of the entire relationship and that for some people that ultimately you have to put a deadline on certain decisions and you have to pull the trigger and go in knowing what the risk is. And I think sometimes people looking at franchises get into analysis paralysis 
Um, so I think, you know, ask the right questions. You know, if you ask three-quarters of the stuff we talked about here on this call, um, you're going to be fine and, and make a judgment call. And these are human beings, and if you feel a good sense of trust, um, you ultimately just have to make a decision that is part rational and, quite frankly, part irrational. Um, you're just, you know, you're going into business and you're going down a road of risk, and so don't feel that your success and failure is completely going to depend on whether or not you ask those right questions. You have to get the information and then at some point close the suitcase and say, I'm doing this or I'm not. That's great. Tom, thanks again for visiting with us on Franchising You. I really look forward to uh, having you back again uh, very soon. Thanks for being with us well, this morning. And, and thank you, Paul, for all you do for the franchising community and you know forums like this and education are uh, they're really invaluable, and it's, a, and it's a great public service. Thank you. I appreciate that. And to that end, I'm excited to announce in the first quarter we'll be launching another podcast, Entrepreneurship and You. Probably give us some different perspective for entrepreneurs that are involved in franchising, but also entrepreneurs that are outside the franchising community. Would you like another resource about franchising? Well, if you haven't yet heard about or read an issue of Franchise Dictionary magazine, then I suggest you check it out today. Lots of valuable information shared by industry experts, awesome interviews of brand founders, and much more. Matter of fact, I also have a column in there, Franchising 101, that I think you'll find uh, very resourceful. Learn more at FranchiseDictionaryMagazine.com. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for including Franchising in you as you explore the world of franchising and business ownership. Dream it. Wish it. Do it. We're excited to be part of your quest towards franchise success. Have a great day.